Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome to the Fallout Lorecast. The podcast that explores the boundaries of our knowledge about the world of Fallout. Wastelanders and Vault Dwellers, welcome back to the show. This is your host, Tom, or Robots, and I have a very special guest with me today to talk about the differences between Starfield and Fallout. I have Ken from Chad76 Podcast and a bunch of other stuff that you do. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Hey, how are you? Hey. Yeah, yeah, it's so good to have you back on the show. You and I used to do the Fallout Hub together with Dave. And did. man, it's been, it's been a while. Uh, it's been a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. A few hot minutes. Um, but I know that you are a fan of all things Bethesda and fallout. And now that Starfield is out and, uh, I've been watching your posts on Twitter about all these different ideas it gives you for creating new content and writing stories and all of that stuff. So, uh, I, I think it's safe to say that both of us have fallen deep into the Starfield <laughs> yeah, I I am lost in the space field, <laughs> the space the space field with the space facts. Um, yes. Yeah, so I I wanted to have you on the show today in order to talk about uh, well, first of all, Starfield a little bit, but mainly the differences between this newest full release by Bethesda since well seventy six, but then before that Fallout four. It's been Another hot minute <laughs> in your parlance. Yeah, and the first new IP in a quarter century. Yeah, 25 years, first new IP. And so, of course, going into this game, a lot of people had all sorts of expectations, and everybody had their own personal wish list of, well, they need to do this in the next game, and they shouldn't do this in the next game, because this this worked in this other game, and this didn't work. And then, of course, not everybody agrees on all of that, right? So uh, I think uh, there's also a a large portion of our audience that plays a bunch of different Bethesda games. But then there's a portion of our audience that's just, they just love Fallout. They just want to play Fallout. So I'm sure there's questions about like, well, would I even like Starfield? Is it similar enough? And I want to break this down in a few different ways. Let's talk about the, uh, first of all, I think one of the things that people really like about Fallout specifically is the world. The, and specifically, we do a lore show, so the background of the world and how it connects to uh, the actual history, and that's kind of drawn out into this wacky, weird future. And we get a similar kind of thing going on with Starfield. It just, the the break happens a little bit later in this, like, actual history than in Fallout. And, of course, it turns into something completely different. How... What is your experience so far with the game and feeling like it's grounded in reality and yet goes to other places? Do you feel like that's similar or different for Fallout in specific ways? It is way more realistic uh, in so many ways than than Fallout or the Elder Scrolls. Um, in the Elder Scrolls, you're, you're dealing with kind of a fantastical universe. So even uh, when you look at characters or voice acting as an example, this is something I was thinking about today. Um, when I was thinking about the technology that they've put into the way in which characters are animated uh, in this universe is mind-blowing. It is the very first thing that you see when you load into a new game, when you're, you're thrown into the life of a miner. A face walks up, it's your new boss, and is literally right in your face, and you can't help but marvel at the ability now to get subtle facial expressions in a way that we couldn't before. But beyond that, the way in which lines are delivered and paired with that that subtlety in terms of um, facial animation or even a body language is so much more grounded in reality than any Fallout or Elder Scrolls game I've seen before. And a lot of the the dialogue, the situations that you find yourself in, the stories shared are are to a degree so much more realistic, um, mm-hmm. which I think speaks to the realism that is presented here. Yes, it's futuristic and fantastical, but there's so much of it that feels so real, like we're getting a, a glimpse of the future of this reality. 
Yeah, yeah, it definitely feels more like uh, it's breaking away from today into a potential actual future based around some technology and things that we don't have yet, but could very well be things that we discover. We just, we're just not there. Um, also, I want to point out for our listeners, uh, Ken has some noise in the background. I'm going to be running this through like a, a cleanup system in order to try to reduce it. So if you do hear some funniness in the audio today, we're, we're compensating for uh, construction happening across from where he is. Um, I am apologizing for your ear holes. Yeah, they're tearing up the street across yeah. the street, like right outside my window. Yeah, hopefully it won't be so bad. But um, uh, so you're talking about like the reality in that. Do you find that as somebody who is used to that fallout sort of, it's not that it's not real. It's just a little bit more of a cartoon version of a thing. Even when it gets dark, sometimes it's even a cartoon version of a thing. Um, and that's what's so interesting about Fallout, I've discussed this before, is that the pendulum swings in either the very serious, very like tragic, the wasteland is hard, life is hard, like super serious direction. And then it swings back over to the goofy direction of like, oh, people think Elvis is somebody we should worship. You know, like it goes on it, both sides of that. But Fallout rarely sits in the middle, whereas Starfield feels like it it takes on that middle ground really, really firmly and really secured. And it swings a little bit in each direction, but just not quite as far as Fallout does. Do you feel like yeah, it does that? A hundred percent. What you just said is exactly tonality wise, mm -hmm. how it feels. Um, I, when it comes to Bethesda games, I've always approached, whether it's, it's going into Fallout 76, which is a good example. It was the first online multiplayer game I have ever played. I, I never got into Call of Duty or any of these other games. I never played online with friends before. Um, but having been a fan of the games that they make for as long as I have been, um, half my life now, it's I approach their games is that this is more of, of an art form and experience that we get to play. And when you look at it through that lens, the stories that they're presenting, the way in which they tell them, even the experience they curate, it may or may not be always what you're looking for. It may not tick all of the boxes, but if you allow yourself to be open to seeing what they're trying to show you, what they're trying to tell you, experiential-wise, I've, I've never walked away unsatisfied. Um, even in, in with Fallout 76 in the first year that it was where, you know, it it had a few problems. <laughs> it was pretty um, buggy at, at first. Yeah, it was. But you know what? I could still see the potential that was there. I still was inspired like so many people were by stories that could be set in that universe. And it, in Starfield, it, you get that tenfold um, because it is so fresh and new. It's not only just fertile ground for storytelling but also for this for them you know the first time in a generation of the majority of of the team that's there now uh weren't around the last time they created something new from scratch so for all of them this is them being able to flex their muscles and and go to town doing their best work um because there's nothing that they have to stay true to this is a whole new universe that they're creating. So it's not like they have to stick to a familiar aesthetic or evolve the aesthetic um, in the terms of in terms of fallout, um, in the way of which they've changed visually, tonally, how those games are presented from um where we started with Fallout One and Two and even into three. Um yeah. it's just feeling wise, it's just a lot more real. Uh, and you feel that the the stories and the lore, uh, the world building that they've done is just, it's a joy to play. And you could tell that there was a lot of joy put into making it. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like, especially as you dig deeper into the game, um, the, and a lot of the random encounters, those kinds of things feel like the kinds of things that would happen. You know, you, you find a derelict ship and you get on it and you try to figure out what's going on. And then you realize there's one survivor and then they say, Hey, I need you to help to go do this thing. And then like, obviously there's going to be a MacGuffin because it's a quest and you have to go do a thing in a quest. But 
the way that stuff plays out plays out in a very kind of I don't know it's a critical situation but yeah we, we deal with things like that in the real world like oh there was a guy on the side of the road I stopped to help him this other thing happened when I was there now you've got a story right um, and it's not like those, those the laugh out loud moments that we love from from fallout it's not like they're not there a great example is last night I was playing I warp jumped uh, through FTL. I, I appeared at a planet. All of a sudden, I get a hail, and I answer it. And it's literally a ship that is is telling me that they were getting in touch with me. They were hailing me because of the insurance policy uh, on my <laughs> spaceship. <laughs> We've been trying to contact you about your insurance. That's it's that's exactly what he said. I, I laughed. Uh, that's great. Which that one? Yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so let's transition into uh, the actual quests, because that's kind of what we're talking about now. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was how this is a return to the more, like, RPG focus and less character story focus. So in Fallout 4, we ended up, we were playing a character, and there was a lot of people who were like, well, it's less of a role-playing game because you're confined to this character and you have to do things that this character would want to do. Or like the, the there aren't as many variables for the way the faction stuff can play out compared to like New Vegas, right? There was a lot of that kind of complaint. And so they've gone back to you are a voiceless protagonist. You can play this character however you want. You can be an evil person that destroys everybody you come across. Like whatever you want, you can do. Um, which makes me think about the difference in the pacing of... Uh, well, the world and the way the quests work in games like New Vegas compared to Fallout 4 compared to now Starfield. And I came to a realization, and let me know if this resonates with you. If when you go back and play New Vegas, there is a lot of emptiness in that map. You walk for minutes fighting whatever monsters are in the wasteland until you get to a location. And then all of a sudden there's somebody with a quest or maybe two or three people with different quests. And then you go do those quests in that location. But then you just kind of wander again because most of the map is actually kind of empty. Um, the pacing in Fallout 4, the map is a little bit more dense. So there's more things to do as you're just kind of wandering around. But I would, it's almost contrary to what a lot of people think because in Starfield, it feels like you have these vast distances between all the planets and the stars and all of that one quest to another. But the fast travel and the being able to just choose the next thing on your quest list and then go to that planet directly and then land or do whatever, it, that stuff, and to your point of like you warp to a planet and all of, all of a sudden somebody hails you, the distance between events happening seems shorter than any game they've made ever yet, even though this game is gigantic and expansive. Yes, that you also have greater control over that. Um, yeah. So yeah. the way in which it, the travel works in the game, so you can, um, using your finder, you can uh, pinpoint a location that you've been at on a planet before, as an example, and you can just fast travel to it instantly. Um, you can walk. You don't have to walk. Um, I often walk just, you know, to take in the world. You can also do that same thing in space. You know, you, you point yourself at a planet within the system that you're in. You can travel to it. There's a brief little cutscene, and, you know, boom, here we are back in the action. And you can jump systems in the same way, um, either instantly and bypass the whole animation uh, where your ship powers up and you punch a hole in the universe or uh, university or universe. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And jump on through. Uh, so you have control over how you want to do that. If you want to take your time and fly from planet to planet within the system you absolutely can't do that but you know it's like seven to eight hours of your life and you're not going to get back mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah yeah but, but i feel like it just it keeps giving you stuff like and and in fact there's so many other side quests and things that it, you just pick up other stuff just by going and doing things and that's normal for the for their games but i feel like maybe even that's ratcheted up a little bit there is. There's also a really cool new dynamic that has become my favorite new thing in that as you're walking around in these these towns, these cities, um, you've got conversation going on all around you. As you're walking by these people, you can stop and listen in. And in mm -hmm. so doing, you can unlock a, a side quest or an activity 
that you wouldn't have discovered any other way aside from just happen to walk by these people or listen into their conversation. Right, um, right. So the way in which some of these more dynamic and really interesting events, missions, and quests that unfold, they happen so much more organically than any way that we've had before, where, you know, it's like, oh, I picked up a book, now I got to go do this, where there's like this unspoken godlike uh, entity pointing you to go do something or you have to talk to everybody and they have to be like hey this might be weird for me to ask because i just met you but can you go do this thing and that happens but it's not like the only way you get quests and there again that that's the realism um the way in which that we're presented these things the way in which the world works as you're walking around it's just it is so much more real yeah i also i was playing last night and um one of the things that stood out to me because I, I went from doing some of the main quest lines and the, some of the main faction kinds of quest lines, which, you know, par for the course for Bethesda stuff. Um, but then I picked a, uh, you different factions have job boards with different missions you can go on. You just pick a mission, right? And I picked the first mission and it was like, go hunt down these pirates, go blow up their ship. And so I went to that location and I fought the ship, but I had recently upgraded my ship with, uh, uh, to be better at say, taking out specific components on their ship. So I was like, okay, I'm going to try and take out their engines and board them because I hadn't really been doing that part of the game very much. So I'm fighting this big pirate ship there, you know, we're, we're trading blows and then I take out their engines and I get close enough and I'm like, all right, let's just board them. Let's see what's on this ship. I go onto the ship. That ship is like four stories tall. <laughs> It's like a dungeon in itself. It would have been faster for me to just blow the ship up and kill everybody on board and then get like finish the quest. But it was more interesting for me to board the ship, kill the 15 people on board and then loot the entire thing and then realize that I couldn't actually steal the ship because I needed to upgrade my piloting in order to do so. So I had to just leave the ship, but I took all the goodies with me and it took me a lot longer, but it turned into a dungeon the size of anything that you would run into walking around in the wasteland. And that was just one ship I came across. And that just kind of blew my mind because I expected, okay, most of these ships are like one or two floors of stuff. Maybe there's five people in it. No, it was a capital ship and there was a ton of stuff to do. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I, I think people were afraid with, with some of the stuff that was teased early on in terms of the way in which, a lot of content is procedurally generated. Um, I think people had a lot of concerns in terms of how that plays out. I can tell you it plays out pretty damn well. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's hard for me at this point to tell because I haven't played long enough to tell the difference between the handmade content and some of the procedural generated content. I mean, I've got my suspicions and eventually I'm sure I'm going to see the similar formats of like, this is a mining colony and these have similar things in, in similar places or just similar shaped buildings that are common in minor mining colonies, right? Like that kind of thing. But if you were to, pers- if you were to manually make that mining, mining colony, it would still have a lot of that same stuff. The, the only thing that would clue me into it being procedural gener- procedurally generated is if things are in kind of the same locations, right? Like the cave warps around, wraps around to the left here and there's a, a ladder on this side. And oh, I've seen that shape before. But other than that, it doesn't really stand out in a like, guess what? You're doing something that is different right now kind of way. It doesn't. It's also randomized to such a degree that if I were to go travel to one planet and I find this really cool thing, I can't tell you to go find that really cool thing because your experience would be completely different than mine. And even the next time I play through and go to that same place, it'll be different again. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's pretty neat the way that that, that stuff is set up. Um, I'll tell you what, I want to talk more about the differences and the similarities here and kind of, uh, I don't know, dig a little bit deeper into it. Uh, but I, we got to go thank our patrons. So if you don't mind hanging out, we'll go thank the patrons and we'll be right back. Hello there, old chap. Good to see another of General Atomic's finest still eager to serve. All right, here we are in the middle of the show. I'll try to make this quick. We've got some new patrons to welcome, including Brandon H. and Connor G. Welcome to the Patreon. And we've got to shout out Sky R, our SentryBot Tier 5 patron. 
Thank you for supporting the show. And thank you to all 76 of our patrons. You guys are amazing. If you're interested in getting ad-free episodes, joining us at the end of the month for the patron chats and getting stickers or t-shirts, any of that kind of stuff, check out all the different tiers at patreon.com slash falloutlorecast. Also, we have one new review that came in. And as a reminder, if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it out on a future episode of the show. This one is from Benny Blizzard in the United States, who writes, full of splendor. I started listening to this podcast regularly around a month ago, and I can't be more pleased. Each day on my way to and from work, I pop the Fallout Lorecast on. This pod gives me an outlet to occupy my often racing brain, which can literally be a godsend some days. Tom is a fabulous speaker, and I genuinely cannot begin to fathom the amount of time and effort that goes into research writing and recording for this bad boy. I look forward to the patron chats as the passion of this community, the passion this community holds is infectious. This is an unbelievable podcast. Thank you for all you do, Tom. Well, thank you, Benny Blizzard, for taking the time to leave that review. Uh, Also, you can rate the show on Spotify. You can share it with your friends. There's lots of other ways to help support the show and keep it going. So thank you to all of you. Let's get back to our conversation about Starfield. If you have any questions about Nuka World, I'd be delighted to answer them. Or if you have any questions about Starfield, I'd be delighted to answer those too. Um, So, (laughs) Ken, let's talk about some of the like the more nitty gritty stuff here, like the mechanics of the game, the stuff you find in the world. Uh, I was talking about a little bit about how Fallout can be kind of wacky and silly. And there's some of that, like, have you found, what are some of the funniest items or locations and things like that you've come across so far? Well, when we're starting with Outrageous, you have to go with the adoring fan. Yes, Um, yes. I mean, that early on, was the most ridiculous thing ever because everything that comes out of his mouth, the way in which uh, Craig just poured gasoline into his performance on that one, Craig Seckler, mm-hmm. uh, who voiced the adoring fan in the original Elder Scrolls games, uh, somehow like the cat that came back the very next day survived being fall uh, falling and dying and uh, has transferred across the universe to just worship the ground that you walk on. and. He, his lines and dialogue are hilarious. Um, I charged him money to hang out with me. And so he, he gave me his life savings, which was 50 caps and a toilet paper tube. That was, that, that was everything that he owned. And yeah, it was hilarious. Um, that's great. That in particular was, was just off the wall funny. Um, and then there are some minor, like little things, the way in which people die. Some of the characters that you meet um, are just really goofy uh, in terms of, of what they ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's more those those ridiculous moments, those over the top moments, um, are also just realistically funny. Um, me back talking uh, bounty hunters as an example, uh, who killed me and then gloated about it. (laughs) Um, Interesting. Yep. There was that. There's, uh, there's another random encounter similar to, um, the, the insurance scam, uh, with your, your ship's warranty where you're just traveling around and there will be uh, a budget tours group (laughs) who will just fly up beside your ship and has a whole bunch of, of, unique characters who want to talk to a real space captain and you can choose the answers that you give them but uh, like 95 percent of them are a little thirsty (laughs) nice so the conversation goes in a really interesting direction oh that's weird that's funny yeah i haven't seen that yeah i like um some of the just the uh, you were talking about the realism of the world but the realism of the world means that you're going to come across some items in the world that are uh, just a little bit a little bit odd or so for example or just cute you know like there's like these plushies that you can find in different locations and that's been like a fallout 76 thing but they're it's, adorable and they make adorable noises when you pick them up yeah and you can put them on your desk in your ship or whatever um or the fact that like you'll be in like a a pirate den somewhere and then you'll get through go through the bedrooms and you'll see that like oh well this guy likes to play board games because <laughs> there's just a stack of board games in his room which totally makes sense just because you're a you know terrible pirate doesn't mean that you don't have hobbies I, I love that. Like some of the stuff is is also experiences you can create. So there was a, a a den of pirates that I was creeping up on. 
So I dropped a bunch of plushies on top of mines. <laughs> okay. I So I lured them into a bottleneck. Uh, and so when the mines went off, the plushies made the funny noise. And it was one of the firebomb mines. So it's just a, a funny noise while everyone is on fire and dying. That's amazing. And these plushies are flying everywhere. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a ridiculous celebration of death. Yes. <laughs> um, I also noticed, talking about realism, that most of the locations are designed in very realistic, livable kinds of ways. Uh, yes. An example of that is there are bathrooms in basically every building, which isn't always the case for Bethesda games because they kind of consolidate space. Uh, the, the cities themselves are gigantic, so it's not like we're walking around Diamond City wondering where these, you know, 20 people live because there's not ha enough houses and there's only 20 people in the town, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, there's, uh, this is a good example. When you get to Constellation, when you go into, uh, the building and they're giving you your room in Constellation, of course, everybody goes and opens up every door in order to look, see where everything is, Right. One of the doors is just basically like a broom closet. They actually added in a broom closet. There's nothing in it. There's no reason to ever go in it, but it's got shelves. It's got, you know, like uh, sheets for the beds up like stacked. It's got a, a mop. But if you had a facility that large, you would need a closet to put all that stuff in. Yeah. So it's there. It's that kind of stuff makes me re like, oh, and, and some, here's another example. There are quests where you have to meet like the CEO of a company. And so you meet somebody down at the bottom floor, like a receptionist, and they're like, okay, follow me. I'll, I'll take you up to meet the CEO. And then you walk for like four or five minutes because the building is big because it's a large company and the CEO is on the top floor of the building, which CEOs tend to do. So it <laughs> it's not like, oh, he's just here in the other room. It, it's like you're actually walking into a real building and having to go visit the CEO. It is. Also, uh, people aren't prepared for how big the major locations are. You're just, you're not. Um, they're, they're massive. There's also no cheat sheet mini-map. So when you, for instance, we end up in New Atlantis for the first time, the first big city you come to, um, you know, you get out, you know, you, you have to go through customs, yeah, which is very real. You know, your, your body scan to make sure you have no kind of diseases going into the city. And then you kind of have to ask for directions. Um, and you can also easily get lost, take a turn down a blind alley, just like if you were going to a city for a first time. And I played this game for, for two weeks uh, before early access um, as part of uh, the press preview. And during that entire time, uh, I did not know until a few days ago, I was in New Atlantis and, you know, I walked off down around the corner of this blind alley and there was an elevator there. I thought, well, where the hell does this go? So I took the elevator down and I discovered an entire undercity that for weeks I did not even know was there. There's, there's an undercity underneath New Atlantis mm -hmm. and behind the waterfall. Um, that had crazy. A, a very like creepy, you know, rundown slum kind of feel. Um, so it changed my perspective of New Atlantis just on that random discovery. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, yeah. I haven't been there. I didn't even know that was a thing yet because I, I, didn't I haven't spent I that much time. Hell? Yeah. I haven't spent that much time walking around New Atlantis. I've gone to a few of the different locations, but for the most part, I just kind of fast traveled out to go back to getting on quests. Like I stumbled down there and there's another like eight mini quests to add to my journal. Yeah. Yeah. I bet. I bet. So, okay. So let's talk about some of them. Like well, there's some other items. How do you feel and comparing to contrasting the, uh, for example, the weapon systems compared to fallout? Do you feel like this is different? Like, obviously there are more different kinds of future weapons, a little bit more based in reality for some of them, but, um, just in in general, how do you feel about it? Yeah, so it, it, this it this takes the best of of both worlds. So it has the kind of customization in terms of add-ons features um, that you can have in Fallout Four. So you can really tweak the weapons that you have. If you get something you like, you know, you can change out the stock on it, the barrel. 
you can put sites on it, you can rename it. Um, but in addition to that, it also has uh, some of the materials that drop, be it armor or weaponry, have the kind of off-the-walls, bonkers, Fallout 76 effects that we were used to from that system. So, for instance, um, the other night I was doing a quest on Aquila City. Um, outside the city, you can, you can head out into the wilderness. It's like the outback of Australia. Everything wants to kill you. Um, mm -hmm. So you come across the Ashta, which are like a cross between a Velociraptor and Timberwolves. Um, so hunting those after I did one quest, one of the weapons that dropped from these people that I had to kill was something called the Ashta Killer. And it literally just throws explosions. Um, uh -huh. It is so ridiculously overpowered that uh, it, it made dealing with these you know, alpha predators on the planet a little more realistic. But it's a completely bonkers weapon. If you shoot something too close to you, it will obliterate you, set you on fire, and then just curl you into space. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've enjoyed those interactions a lot to just oh, like yeah. jump on the back of that. Like you, you take out somebody's backpack and it explodes or they shoot up into the, um, what's funny about that to me is if you're inside like a small room, they still launch, <laughs> it still launches them. And the, like I had one they get, get his, stuck in the ceiling. Yeah. His head got stuck in the ceiling and his body went limp through. and his, and his legs just kind of dangled there. <laughs> I was like, this is great. Um, or, uh, you know, just tossing, like grenades are very effective. You get them in a group of people and they do lots of damage to everybody. Oh, um, yeah. 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 And just the, the wackiness that plays out with some of that stuff. The variety of weapons is really, really excellent. It's, it's some of the best visually, they look beautiful. Um, I mean, they've, they've got, you know, some weapons have LED readouts that are animated and, you know, show you shell counts and, weapon health and all of these other crazy things um they they look great um gunplay is the best that we've had from bethesda mm -hmm. in terms of responsiveness uh how it feels to play i think part of that was this this game was literally put together by a wonder team so it wasn't just bethesda game studios here they had help from the id team coming in to to work a little bit on the gunplay based on doom they had help from arcane just it was an entire group of people that maybe have a little bit more specialization in some areas to help tweak some of these things so they feel really good, um, yeah. more so than what we've had before. Yeah. The other thing that I find interesting about the itemization stuff is not just the guns, but the, the spacesuit, the way it's divided up. So in Fallout, you have like different parts of armor you can put on different parts of your body. Right. In Starfield, you've got your spacesuit, you've got your clothing, uh, which also could be a clothing and a hat. Um, you've got a helmet, then you have your, your backpack, like your boost pack or whatever it is you're mm -hmm. wearing on your back. So those are basically the components. And for fallout, you have like, okay, this is metal armor and you know, metal armor is good at reflecting lasers, right? Like, right. or like this is leather armor or maybe it's leather armor absorbs the lasers, metal armor like absorbs physical impact. Um, maybe I'm misremembering this, but, um, everyone's gonna be like, you do fallout show. You should know this. Sometimes I don't, the specifics uh, fall out of my brain. Um, but you guys know how that works. So you get this general sense that you come across certain types of armor and it's good for certain types of things. I feel like in Starfield, at least so far in my experience, the her, the use case of different armor types isn't as uh, black and white, if that makes sense. It Yeah, exactly. Uh, particularly when, when you get down to going to specific places... Um, planetary conditions will will change. Um, there are some planets, you know, that are that are inundated with ultraviolet radiation. Other ones that have toxic gas clouds that will kill you. So different types of armor. It's less about um, mitigating damage, and more it is making sure that you're you're using the best gear for particular environmental scenarios. Um, yeah, and it seems like the early stuff, a lot of the early stuff is mostly just get the armor that's going to give you the most damage mitigation because you're not going anywhere that's too crazy. So right. whatever your yep. gear does, you'll probably be okay enough on the cold planet to survive getting into the mine or whatever. Um, yeah. But as you continue to explore, you're going to get into locations where it's like, okay, I'm I'm exploring the wilderness here. Chances are I'm not going to come across again a bunch of pirates. 
So I need to swap to the armor that's going to make it possible for me to explore the planet without getting hypothermia or radiation sickness or whatever. And um, along those lines, too, the penalties that you incur are much more grounded in realism. A good example of this. Uh, I forgot to put on a spacesuit <laughs> when I landed on, on one planet. So immediately, as soon as I exit the ship, um, within seconds, I'm, I'm dying. Um, mm -hmm. I, I quickly equip a, a spacesuit, but by then, um, I'm hit with the penalty where my lungs are, are damaged from severe cold. And there's no Stimpak wonder drug right. in this universe. Right. So you need very specific fixes for very specific real things that could happen to you in space. Um, be it, you know, third degree burns from ultraviolet exposure or damage to your lungs from gases or uh, extreme cold, um, all of that kind of stuff. But not, I don't want to make it sound unfun. Yeah, um, they, they balance this really well because yeah. you, you have the role-playing quality of needing the right medication or whatever to fix the thing. And so if you don't happen to have it on you, the, the initial thought would be, oh, well, that sucks. Now you got to... Now you gotta go find it somewhere. You gotta find a doctor. But like we mentioned earlier on the show, you can just fast travel to a planet, go to the doctor, get it fixed, and then fast travel back. And in five minutes, you're back on your quest. It's yeah. not the worst thing in the world, but it does play out in a realistic way that makes you careful and makes you think a little bit ahead about what you're gonna do. So the only it's a nice balance. And along those lines, too, speaking of balance, the only thing that still feels as unbalanced as Fallout ever has been is when you get to a point where you just have to have it all. You want to take all of the junk, you want to collect all of the resources, and you know, before you know it, you've got 300 pounds of material that you're trying to carry back right. that you can't fast travel with. Um, and so you have to take the long, hard walk back. The penalty to that, which is also based on realism, isn't just that you can't walk fast. In this universe, you not only can't walk fast, but you also, if you try and move too quickly, you'll build up CO2. Right. From you breathe heavier. Yeah, right. So yeah. You, you suck you out all the oxygen so. and then you fill it with CO2 and then you can damage yourself that way. Yeah, which yeah. which will kill you if you keep going. <laughs> so periodically you have to stop and you know, you gotta breathe easy and recover and, and that's Again, only if you get to the point where you, you want to junk haul, which... Right, right. Which feels right. kind of realistic. Like, if you're walking around carrying, you know, 150 pounds on your back, you're only going to be able to walk so far before you've got to take a break and catch your breath. Yeah, if you want to carry a couch a couple of miles, the yeah. couch will probably kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would... I mean, think about it. If you and I picked up a couch and we needed to move it to the house at the end of the block, we might have to go, you know, a third of the way, put the couch down, catch our breath, pick up the couch again, keep walking because it's a long block to get down. Right. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, but it, it, again, it, it's, it's a realistic thing that they, they're doing that thing where they're, it's role-playing. They're doing the thing that makes it feel like you're role-playing in a universe, but it isn't to the detriment of fun. It fits well. And there's a, there's a solution and you can get that solution. You just have to think about it and then go do it. And then you can continue doing whatever you're doing. I don't think I've I've had a moment in this where it's been unfun. Yeah, so I'm thinking about it. There's the I one of the glitches was uh, there, okay, so let me preface this. This is the least glitchy launched game Bethesda have, has ever made as far as I'm concerned. Hands down. It is it is extremely polished and now that I'm, you know, hours and hours into it, I'm running into a few glitches. Uh, let's talk about let's talk about our glitches because I'm sure you probably have some stories. The best glitch I found was uh, I when I first traveled to Neon, I didn't travel and then land on the on the port and then come in through the the elevator down into the city. I fast traveled to a quest and it just popped up in the middle of the city, even though I hadn't been there before, which was a little bit odd to me. I thought, okay, they're going to put me on the landing pad, but they didn't. And then I was looking around and I was like, oh, here's an elevator. Where does it go? Well, it took me back out to the landing pad. And by the time I walked down to the landing pad, it's like, oh, you discovered neon. Congratulations. <laughs> I thought that was a little bit weird. But the main glitch here was when I came out of the elevator up onto the platform that's outside where you can like see the ocean over the side of the platform, standing in front of the elevator when the doors opened was this giant monstrous fish. Just like 
like one of I don't know if you've been in the ocean near Neon. They have they have these like dinosaur sharks that look like they're they're, they're insane. They're the size of a car, and it's sitting there just like wiggling on the platform, not responding to anybody, looking at the elevator like it's waiting to get in the elevator, but it won't fit. And then there were guards responding to like a guy who was trying to smuggle contraband into the city who paid no attention to this giant shark. <laughs> and I was like, this is amazing. So um, that was that was probably the funniest glitch. But to get back to the other point, the only time I've ever found any annoyance was the first time I picked up contraband and I wanted to see what would happen if I traveled to a location where they scanned me. Well, sure enough, they noticed the contraband. And so they started to like hail me in order for me to respond to, you know, pay for pay for the fine or whatever. Right. Well, something else happened at the same time and I happened to hit the button uh, or it like the notification popped up and then something else happened. And so the notification went away and they were like, oh, you're trying to leave. And so they started attacking me. So I quickly traveled out of that system. I probably should have just save scummed it, went on with the rest of the mission. And then the next time I tried to go to any of the Freestar locations, because they were the ones that were pissed off, they just started attacking immediately. And most of the time wouldn't even hail the ship. And then on top of that, most of the time when I tried to contact and hail their ships, it would just, it would fail and they would just keep attacking me. So I had to try seven times to travel out somewhere and go back to another location and get to hail them and then pay the fine so they'd stop attacking me. And that was a, that was a weird glitch. And I think it was just the combination of prompts that happened all that first time when they scanned me. Yeah, because they'll hail you first. Yeah. You have to respond to the hail. Yep. Right. And so uh, something something glitched it there. And then from that point on, I was just like your number one enemy. They were There was no talking to me at all. And I was like, this can't be the way the system works because now I can't just get into any of these planets. And fortunately, it kind of fixed itself. So I would have had to go back and redo the save and all that. So what kinds of glitches have you come across? I, I couldn't have had many. Um, nothing like that in the time that I played. Um, the one hilarious one that happened um, is one that's that's kind of common in a funny way with with some of the Fallout games. Um, because of the extreme zoom that you have when you have in conversation with someone, sometimes what's going on in the background blurred out mm -hmm. is really hilarious. So a good example of this was uh, I was in a coffee shop talking to Sam Coe, uh, one of the companions you can get and a member of Constellation. And all of a sudden, this woman turns around and starts walking towards us. And then just like in Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, she kind of like creeps into the frame really slow, had her head like tilted back and her eyes opened really wide, like dramatic gopher from YouTube. And she just kind of stood there looking like starkly terrified while we're having this conversation. And then she just slowly slid out of view and disappeared. I was laughing. It was hilarious. That's so weird. <laughs> but sometimes what people do in the background uh, and the paths for their animation can be a little odd. Mm -hmm. uh, like sometimes, you know, a companion will be talking to a wall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, turn around. I'm over here. And sometimes like you, if you talk to somebody, you come up behind them and talk to them. They'll spend like the first two sentences just kind of behind, like yeah. lo not looking at you, and, and they'll self-correct, and then they'll kind of turn their head, and then their body will follow, and it's like yeah. eventually they're talking to you again. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I mean, you know, what's funny is the way they frame a lot of camera shots in like uh, soap operas and stuff like that. Like they have the yes. person looking at the camera, and then the person behind them looking at the person looking at the camera, and so from the audience, it looks like they're talking to each other. But if you were in the room. One person's talking to the other person's back. And that's super right. weird. <laughs> like, yeah. So, um, but it's, I don't know. It kind of feels a little bit like that. But being on the other side of that perspective. Um, so, okay. So let's go back to some of the story beats and the quests and things like that. Compared to the stuff that we've played in Fallout, do you feel like these are very similar? Do you feel like they, they have the same kinds of twists? Do you feel like there's any changes or... I mean, from a writer's perspective, you write, you, you write a popular podcast and you're constantly working with other creatives about with this kind of stuff, right? I think when you, 
Fallout is is really dark humor personified. That that is is a singular kind of focus in that universe. And yeah, there are there are are morally gray moments. There are you know ridiculous over the top moments. But like you said, the pendulum tends to swing from one to the other. Um, and even in that darkness, there's over the top kind of humor in terms of the situation, mm-hmm. the way in which people die, the way in which, you know, their skeletons are positioned. And then periodically also in Fallout, you'll come across stories that are just so goddamn heartbreaking yeah. um, that you can't help but relate to it. I think the, the big difference in terms of how Starfield presents that is also in a more realistic way. And there are, there are two moments that, that really hit me. One is in Sidonia, uh, which is the colony on Mars. It's one of the first places you have to go on, on the main quest. So you head back to Mars, and it's this very total recall, beautifully designed city that's built underground. So it's it's a heavy focus on mining. Uh, the way in which the skylights are positioned are very total recall, 1990, where you expect Arnold any moment to be like, <laughs> see, it's party, Richter. Um <laughs> So all of that is very real. And I walked down this residential area and there was this little girl sitting outside and I had a conversation with her um, and her dad died in a mining accident. And you go inside and you talk to the mom and the mom just kind of explains things to you and the reality of their situation. And there's no quest there. You can't do anything for them. It's just this moment where it's this mom and her kid and, you know, she doesn't know how she's going to afford to put her through school and they had to move um, because they couldn't afford anything. And it was just kind of a a real sad, relatable moment in terms of the life that we have and what she's kind of going through with the loss of a parent uh, and her, the loss of her husband. Yeah. Um, I, I ended up, I was trying to play a rogue character, but I ended up feeling so bad I gave her money. (laughs) So then I had to balance that out by going and robbing someone um, so the universe, you know, was corrected. Um, The second moment was one that was really personal. Um, One of the first things that that I wanted to find out is what happened to Earth. Uh, And what I'm going to tell you now is completely spoiler-free if you haven't played yet. So I went looking and I got into orbit of of earth and looked down and you know had had one very real reaction moment Mm -hmm. um yeah because when you scan the planet you're like oh yeah yeah so then i landed um and i I landed right about where where the house that i grew up in would be Uh and i just walked around for hours and it was night and i just was looking for for any sign uh that would be relatable or familiar Mm-hmm. I couldn't find anything. And just as I was giving up, um, and you know, I had the, the the music off, so I'm just listening to the ambience of where I was. Yeah, I feel like that's uh, the, by the way, I feel like that's the best way to play these games is to, t- I turn the music like almost like down to the bottom quarter. So it's it's yeah, there, but it's quiet so I can hear the, the world around me better. The soundscapes are just so good. But mm-hmm. uh, so... I, I had pretty much given up. I was getting ready to go back to my ship. And then all of a sudden, I noticed the the ground changing color. So it was washed with reds and yellows. And I turn around, and it's the sun, our sun, mm-hmm. rising. And I just sat there uh, with my travel companion, Sarah, and we watched the sunrise again, like I've, I've done you know so many times throughout the years. Mm-hmm. And it was a reminder to me that... Despite everything, despite the reason in which we have to go out into the stars to begin with, um, despite all of that, we endure. And some things you you leave behind, and yet you you go on. It was a great reminder of of the continuity of life that will go on despite you no know, great disaster. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the points this game makes, uh, and this piggybacks off of both of your points, is that even hundreds of years in the future, with advanced technology, humans are still humans. 
Oh yeah. It's we, the, have, the, we yeah. have the same bring, problems. That technology didn't really solve anything when it comes to bring our baggage society. Absolutely. So much of the realism in terms of, of what uh, is going on with prejudices, um, hopes, fears, dreams, nightmares, uh, political alignment, uh, like all of all that, of that stuff, stuff is, is that, you know, big questions that we've been asking throughout all human history, not just today. Yeah. are the same exact things we drag out into space with us that despite our the great beauty of the universe in which we head out into and the cities that we build the places that we visit we 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 bring all of our crap with us out there yeah yeah so did you find the colony ship that left earth before grav drives were invented I did. I didn't want to start that quest yet. Okay. I was really tempted to. So I wanted to wait because yeah. I thought that was going to be a big one. It's interesting because it, it, there's one of those like, uh, this goes to the whole way that Bethesda de design, designs their quest lines. And the none of the options are an easy choice. We'll put it that way. Uh, and you can, you can sacrifice things for yourself in order to help them. You can say like, too bad, you got to do this thing, which sounds pretty terrible. Like there are like, none of them are easy choices, um, which plays out into what happens with them. So, uh, it, it just goes back to, even though the, the setting is different, the, the way things play out is very Bethesda. Um, but not to the point where you can always predict it, which is one of those qualities I like. Having played so many of their games at this point, like there's always that feeling of like, well, if I do this thing, like this is the morally gray thing that screws over these guys, and this is the morally gray thing that screws over these guys, and this is probably what's going to happen. Well, it doesn't always turn out the way you expect it to. And no. You can have very unintended consequences to your actions in this universe. Right. And you would think after doing enough of those kinds of quests through the years, you would be able to predict what the, the twist is going to be, if there is going to be a twist. And sometimes there's not. Sometimes there's not a twist. Sometimes you just do the best thing you could do, and it plays out exactly like you think it might, and then you move on to the next quest. Sometimes it doesn't. And there's no way to predict that. And they they do such a good job of keeping that stuff fresh. Um, the other thing that I've I noticed is that even when it's like just choosing jobs off a job board, it doesn't mean they're all the same length quest. So it's not like, oh, you're going to go do a 10 minute little dungeon. There's going to be a little boss guy at the, at the end. You're going to collect your gear and get out of get out of the dungeon. Kind of like in Skyrim, like a lot of these little minor dungeons in Skyrim are roughly the same size. Uh, it's not like that. And sometimes you do one and it's real quick. And then sometimes you do the next one. And you're doing an hour-long quest with multiple NPCs that you have to interact with and make decisions about. And there's no way to know which of those situations you're going to get in, which feels very real because you don't know in the real world if you go, you know, if you answer that phone call, what's going to be on the other end of the phone, you know, like maybe for work or whatever, like maybe this is going to be a five-minute thing and I can just answer the thing. Or maybe this is now going to be a two-day project. You don't really know. No, I... People also, aside from the fact that you're not prepared for how big this universe feels and how big these cities are, on top of that, you aren't prepared for the amount of stuff that there is to do. You're just not. No matter what way you like to play games, if you, if you like a dishonored kind of um, infiltrate a facility and stealthily pick people off one by one, there are moments that you're really going to love in this game or that's really memorable. If you enjoy being a merchant or you want to be a space trucker or you want to be a bounty hunter or live out a Star Wars fantasy, you can do all of that. They've covered so much ground to give us such a toolbox of, of ways in which we can create our own experience uh, in a way that we haven't had before in any other game. Yeah. And even the, like the crafting system is expanded. The, the, uh, outpost system, oh, huge, uh, being yeah. able to zoom out and position everything is so handy. Um, and I've only dabbled in that stuff a little bit at this point. I mean, I, I feel like that's going to be one of those things like in fallout four and 76, where people are just building crap for years and just being like, check out this crazy thing I made. Well, well talking about differences. So fallout four was the very first time we were introduced with the system in which we, we were building building our our own little settlement 
in Fallout 76, that expanded to then being able to build our own camp in a variety of, of different ways. Um, the building system in Fallout 76 is kind of in tandem with the system developed for Starfield. Right. Um, so the way in which you can build outposts, you know, you can build, I think, eight or nine different outposts anywhere in the universe you want to. And you build it very much like Fallout 76, you know, where you're, you can do this nice bird's eye view, you can zoom in, you can plunk down different modules and uh, add power. And it's, that system is very much like Fallout 76. Yeah, but you don't have to, you don't have to run wires. Right. That's, That's the other so thing. nice. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to deal with any of that stuff. Shipbuilding also is, is really great when you get used to it. Um because it's like building in Fallout 76, except you're building in like a, a VR-style environment. So in Fallout 4, they had a, a Creation Club DLC um, where you could build in a, a VR simulator in a similar grid to where you build your ship in, in Starfield. Um, so you're going to lay out your ship modules uh, in pieces, and then you kind of build vertically, horizontally uh, with specific pieces. The shipbuilding aspect of this takes a little getting used to, I will prepare you, but once you're used to it, I mean, the stuff that people are creating is is insane. The Millennium Falcon, uh, ships from from Stargate, yeah. uh, ships yeah. from Star Trek. Uh, I mean, someone built the Runabout from Deep Space Nine, Halo dropships. I mean, you name it, people are building it. Yeah, it's cool. It's uh, The systems are complex, but complex in a, like, okay, if you're going to get into this, you want to be able to have this complexity to make the stuff you want to make. So take take a few minutes and learn it, and then now you can do a ton of things. And in addition to that, the, the crafting and complexity of outpost building, uh, crafting components, uh, you know, making pharmacological compounds, any of that kind of stuff is all optional. There's nothing that requires you in any of these quest lines to go do that if that's not your thing. If you don't care about shipbuilding, there's nothing in this game that makes you build ships. You right. can go steal a ship. Yep. You can simply upgrade the Frontier, which is the ship that you're given in the very beginning. Um, so in addition to giving us a ton of variety to, to satisfy the needs of kind of any kind of player, there's nothing that locks you in and makes you do something that you don't want to do. Right. You also can get ships from quest rewards. So yeah, that's yep. that's fun too. When you like finish something, you're like, holy crap! Now I get this ship. Awesome. Like that's. I mean, it's really cool to get like, oh, this is a rare gun or a rare spacesuit or whatever. Like, but you expect mantis. that. Yeah, you expect that. Yeah, I, I got the mantis recently too. Oh, the mantis. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, sometimes you come across a ship and in, in just part of a quest, and you're just like this is really cool. Okay. I get yeah. an entire spaceship. That's amazing. Um, so it's time to wrap up the episode. Are there any other final thoughts on similarities between these two things? Do you feel like, do you feel like this is going to bode well for future Bethesda games moving, like having spent eight years developing this and finally getting it out? Do you think it was worth it? I think for Bethesda, this is, a win that they've really needed uh, and deserved for quite a while. Mm -hmm. um, it's something new. It's something fresh. The reviews coming out from so many different kinds of people, people who have been around for a long time with Bethesda games and New York Bethesda games are really good. Um, there's just so much to do. But really, the, the major... Uh, common ground for all of these is that it has that Bethesda feel in terms of giving you an experience that you can easily get lost in and be thinking about and not want to put down. In addition to that, modders have already gone to town before modding tools have even dropped. Yeah. So similar yeah. To, to, to Fallout Skyrim, it, it is true to form of them creating a great experience and then they're going to give this over to us. So say, okay, you know, they, we've created this universe for you to go play in. That Pete Hines was already talking about that at Gamescom mm -hmm. before the game was even fully out. Um, that modders are going to be able to build their own planets. Right. Not just a quest line, not just, you know, this cool building. You can go build a, a goddamn planet. I put uh, pr prediction here. Prediction. It's going to be insane. 
Yeah, we're going to have sometime in the next 10 years, a team that tries to recreate something like uh, Knights of the Old Republic in Starfield. Oh yeah, 100%. Like, there's going to be a Starfield Knights of the Republic mod and it's going to play through the you know the locations you go to. It's going to play through, like it's going to be a main quest line that you can just go do off on some other planet somewhere and then just do that. Um, like there's a there's a Discord where modders um, gather. There's a whole Starfield Nexus modding Discord that exists for modders that I'm in. And some of the plans that they already have are total conversion mods for Star Wars. Yeah. Total conversion mods for Star Trek, where the entire game will be redesigned to to have weapons and crazy. The feel of the those universes. Just think about how long they've been working on like Sky Oblivion or, you know, any of these other projects. And it's been a decade now since decade twelve years since yeah. Skyrim. Uh in order like those all sound awesome, but my my gut says don't expect it to be a two or three year project like I did a decade ago. Expect it to be a decade long project. And maybe in, you know, 2033, we'll get some of these cool, uh, you know, massive mod projects. Not to say don't work on it. Just don't get your hopes up. That's coming out like in the next year because it's going to be huge and it's going to take a long time. But but it's cool that they're able to do that. Like if this really and that's the other thing with video games now is that the technology is good enough that, you know, if, even if you go back and play Skyrim today, a 12 year old game, it doesn't feel that old. The graphics, no. the graphics, I mean, the textures could be higher res. There's a few things that obviously you would do different in games today, but it doesn't feel like jumping back and playing Morrowind. Morrowind feels like an older game uh, or Daggerfall feels like an older game or Fallout 1 and 2 feel like older games. They don't even run very well on modern computers because they just the code was just completely different. But in the last decade, those games that are 10 years old, they still hold up. There's they they do know. particularly when you look at what modders have been doing. So yeah. today in 2023, if you download 4K assets and some new EMBs, you know, you can dive back into Skyrim. Yeah, or Fallout 4. I got a total yeah, conversion Fallout for Fallout 4 that like raised all the quality of all the graphics and everything. Yeah. And it, it felt like a like brand new game. Yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy stuff. So, I, I, you know, the bones, if you make the bones good enough, it doesn't matter if it takes 10 years to, for us to get a, you know, full conversion Star Wars mod for this. It's still going to be awesome. It's just going to take people time to do it. Right. So the other thing for, for people who, who get into role play, role play groups, machinimas, uh, people who write and want to do, you know, their own original podcast set in this universe, you have no idea, um, how fertile the ground is for this. It's, it's, you're going to very easily find inspiration for stories of your own. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, well, Ken, thank you for joining me. This has been super fun. It's been fun to hang out with you again. Uh, yeah. you're going to be joining us on the Starfield Lorecast in like a, a week so yes. yeah so that'll be fun so we'll, we'll be talking more about that if you haven't tuned into the starfield lorecast go check that out we, we'll be talking starfield if you're into that the three of us back together again the boys are back in town the boys are back in town what other stuff do you have going on i know you've got like projects in the works and all sorts of things yeah so uh we are almost to the end of season two for chad which is going to be uh, a big deal um we have a lot of really interesting surprise guests that'll be coming in for that. It's going to wrap up one whole arc that we've been telling since, you know, the, the beginning of the story. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Then we're going to take a break for a year in between seasons two and three of chat before we, we pick that back up again. Um, so I can work on some other stuff. Yeah. One of which is, is happening right now that we have in production. So, um, Frontier Stories from Starfield is a new sci-fi anthology podcast. So unlike the Chad show where it's, it's episodic, this is more like the Twilight Zone meets the Outer Limits, um, where we've got a whole host of different writers. They're all people that you know. Um, the team behind the Modus Files, um, Once Upon a Wasteland, um, True Vaults, Escapes. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of the really great Fallout writers... Uh, in addition to some really great published sci-fi authors are writing short scripts um, for Frontier. And they're like uh, an hour to 90-minute episodes, bite-sized stories, all different types and tones, um, from horror to a little bit of comedy to 
some realistic drama, all with that kind of Twilight Zone-ish kind of hook that uh, I grew up loving. So I'm, I'm really excited about that show. That's awesome. We'll be, that'll be launching um, around the end of this month. We'll be kicking it off. Uh, and there'll be 13 episodes in all. That's great. That sounds really cool. And that's yeah. called Frontier, if people want to look at Frontier up. Stories from Starfield. And it's up right now on uh, every podcast catcher you, that you've got out there uh, with a trailer that we have. Yeah. Um, awesome. So there's a little teaser of that in addition to uh, some our, our hot theme song. <laughs> yeah. and if you're watching it on Spotify, it's actually a video intro. So you can see some cool animations. Oh, cool. Cool, cool. Well, thank you again for joining me. And uh, those of you listening at home, thank you for tuning in and still sticking around for this show. Uh, we're still going. We're still talking about Fallout stuff. But if you decide to jump into the Starfield, that's awesome too. So go play what you enjoy and hopefully you'll come back and tune in for more episodes here. Uh, but that's going to do it for this week. I'll be back next week with probably a more normal episode. I thought it would be fun to you know, take a comparison with Ken. Uh, but Ken, have a wonderful rest of your day and thank you for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Stay safe out there. See you. To plug into everything else we're doing, check out robotsradio.net. Reach out to me on Twitter at robots underscore radio. Check out the Robots Radio Rocket Club where you can join me and a bunch of our other creators creating your podcast, starting a new podcast, or helping your current podcast grow. There's more information about that on robotsradio.net as well. And you can always talk with us and the entire community, over 2,000 people on the Robots Radio Discord. Come join us. We'd love to chat with you. See you guys next time.